So I always do the question, is architecture enough? Because I don't think architecture it's Architecture becomes the hardware. Who's designing the software? And I always use the example that you can get the next whatever foam version, something. Could be great, but it doesn't, if it doesn't have any applications, is it important? Does it work? Talk about the shared responsibility. It's everybody's responsibility. Us as the community, the developer, private investors, we all have to get involved. When we talk about the future of cities, it's not about architects and urban planners and city planners. It's about all of us that we want cities to be better, to have a positive impact on the community. It's more about, is that building giving something back? Did that building question something really relevant of society? Is it flexible enough to really adapt through time? Are we resilient enough? Hi, everyone. This is Alexandra Siebenthal for Designing the City, and we've got a new episode with an old friend. If you've followed Recite for a while, you may have heard that voice before. It's from Michel Riquind, founder of Riquind Architectos, and his incredibly inspiring keynote from our 2018 conference, Accommodate. Our regular contact and conversations with Michel have grown into a friendship, and that's another great talent he has, his ability to connect. So this week, we are super glad to have him back this time on a podcast for a much more intimate conversation with Recite founder Martin Berry. If you are well-versed in the field of architecture, Michelle is known as one of Mexico's most successful architects. Wallpaper Magazine included him as one of 150 movers, shakers, and makers that have rocked the world in the last 15 years or so. Projects like Fora Boca, a stunning seaside home, the Boca del Rio Philharmonic Orchestra, or the Cineteca Nacional that is home to arguably the most important film heritage center in Latin America, Mexico's National Film Institute. Mercado Roma is a Mexican gastronomic expression designed from the inside out and bottom up. And finally, the Nestle Chocolate Museum, which immortalizes the telling of Mexican chocolate history. All of these spaces share a common thread, utilizing space and architecture to have an impact on their respective communities. Michel's ethos behind his work is what sets these projects apart, the social responsibility that motivates their existence. Long after his designs are realized, these spaces come into their own, shaping the communities they reside in, with those same communities shaping those spaces, in a sort of unconscious collaboration. As he puts it, it's the manifestation of making that space for other things to happen. But his success as an architect was not his first. Michel was the drummer in popular 90s rock band, Alex Sintek y la Gente Normale. He attributes a lot of his evolution as a creative to the time spent touring through different cities, experiences he accumulates into his approach to architecture. And one might assume that influence appears in his outputs, but as we discovered in this conversation, it shows up far more in his inputs and in how he collaborates or jams as he calls it, with all interested parties, like the proper rock star he is. So let's hear from Michelle Rikind in conversation with Reside founder Martin Berry. Hey, everybody, this is Martin Berry from Reside. I'm really excited to have you back on Reside Design and the City. It's an incredible honor tonight again. Uh, to have one of my friends uh, and someone I look up to uh, um, with us, Michelle Roquint uh, from 
from Mexico City and Michelle, I'm going to welcome you to the program and I and, uh, can't wait to get into this conversation with you. How are you? Martin, uh, beautiful to uh, talk to you again. Uh, beautiful to be here. Thanks for the, for the invite and uh, looking forward to, to talking. I mean, it's, it's, these are some crazy times, um, uh, interesting moments of, of introspection and, and, and understanding a lot of different things. No? So uh, great, to, great to be here and being able to, to talk to you and, and, uh, and join the conversation. <laughs> It's it's amazing to have you, and uh, some of our listeners will know that that I'm from New York City, and so you're you're sitting in my hometown, um, which a couple of guests like Gary Hustwitz and and uh, Stefan Sagmeister have been calling in from, and uh, and I'm here in Europe, sort of locked locked in. So um, I see the blue skies uh, behind you, and and uh, tell me one thing. We'll start with is a the last time I saw you, you were running, um, and. We did the run with Reset. I think it was like uh, sometime in mid-2018. And are you still running? Uh, we talked about running and creativity. Is this still an inspiration of yours? Like, Tell us about that. I, I'm, I'm always running. That's, I think, uh, a major... I don't know if that's good or bad because people are always asking, like, what are you running from? And, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, but uh, it, it, it really became... I'm, I'm definitely still running. It, it, it becomes... It, it is my meditation, Martin, as, as you know. It, it becomes the moment... I do it in the morning just to clarify because there's a lot of people that are runners, they run in the afternoons. To me, waking up before the sunrise and running and being able to see the sun come up, it's just a perfect way to start the day. No, to me, it becomes this kind of a, a check-in with myself where it's like, how is my mind? How is my body? How is my heart? How am I understanding the things that are happening around me? And if I could be a little bit of a, uh, or raise my awareness through through running, which becomes, uh, again, as I was saying, kind of this meditation, that's the perfect way to start. And, uh, and I've seen it when, when I don't go out and run in the morning and I have a busy day and I'm like, I'm not focused at all, or I am less focused to say, you know, but uh, so running not only has become this, a thing where you, of course, you, you maintain your fitness level in a physical way, which is great. But also, I think that the most important give, give back or takeaway that I have with running is, is a balance of, of my mind, my heart and my, my physical body. So, uh, so yeah, I, I run all the time. I, I mean, this year has been um, a bit uh, uh, difficult for everybody. So there's no... Um, no races or marathons or, but just running out. And, and again, it, even in these crazy times, running to understand, first of all, that, that you're privileged enough to be out there and running, which is in the physical state, no. And, uh, and, and being thankful and grateful for that. And, um, and then figuring out how you can help from, from where you are. No. So, uh, yeah. So running will, I, I guess I'll be running until, I don't know what age. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love to hear that. Like, uh, you know, I've been, I've been an on and off runner. I'm, uh, I, I always admired your dedication uh, and I'm envious of this commitment to, to, to the sport because for me, um, and I'm getting back into it, by the way, now I, I ran for the first time in like almost a year and a half last weekend. And, uh, I just Congrats. got some new, <laughs> I did it the, the classic way. You know, I got some new gear this week. So my Nike package arrived uh, for cold weather, cold weather gear. And I'm starting with stairs, which is actually an interesting way to start training again, because I never did that. Um, and there's something 
I really like training on stairs because there's something uh, even about running about the repetition and the pacing um, that does help you get to this sort of uh, state of Zen or, or um, I don't know, for me, it's sort of peaceful. Um, it's a way to meditate. It's a way to reflect and, and the repetition uh, helps with that, at least for me. And yeah, uh-huh. getting this, the breathing and the state of uh, balance, it's important. So I'm inspired by, by you, I have to say. I'm, I'm always watching and I'm like, oh, damn it. You know, if Michelle could see me now with these extra five kilos. <laughs> uh, and, 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 I mean, it's not easy getting up. I mean, people I have friends like, oh, how do you do? I mean, it, it's always, you always have this thing where you're waking up. It's like, oh, should I go out in this cold weather? And, and again, it's, it's not easy, but it becomes, it becomes your practice. It becomes... The things that, I mean, anybody can relate to, to what I'm explaining through running because any sport that you do that, that you kind of arrive at that point where you're kind of an automatic pilot or you're doing something where you're just letting it happen. And I, I've experienced this, Martin, also as a musician when I was playing drums that, that sometimes you're playing drums and you're like hyper-focused and then sometimes you're just, you're not even there. You're just playing and you're seeing your body playing, but it's kind of this automatic thing that's going on that I think that's when this... Thing that we talk about kicks in this peaceful kind of zen moment where it's like oh this is just i mean life is happening no and uh and you're you're there witnessing that so uh so yeah I mean, in any sport i think or, or any creative process for sure and you're getting the the, the sort of uh, crisp fresh air of new york so tell me you're in new york now my hometown um what's happening there well, it's a, it's a bit crazy. It's a bit crazy everywhere. I've been traveling from Mexico to, to New York. Um, uh, as we know, New York is always a place that 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 kind of rebounds really quickly. No, it's very uh, resilient. So uh, ever since the pandemic started, uh, the lockdowns, but then it started opening a little bit, and then you were seeing the the the. the uh, all the restaurants take over the streets and then you would see the gyms taking over the parks and the streets. So, so again, this resiliency of, of how to uh, recover our, our day-to-day, how to, how to really engage with something that is there, being careful, but trying not to be afraid, no? but trying to stay calm, trying to figure out ways to, to kind of go forward. No, I think one of the I mean, in general, it doesn't have to do with New York in, in particular, but because, um, I mean, m- many places that have parks like like New York has Central Park or the Hudson. I mean, like you can run through the Hudson or, or so many streets that can be closed for for things to happen on the street. I mean, you're seeing that in, in parts of Europe as well. But, um, but I think, in, in, I mean, in general, uh, the sense of understanding how to do things, again, not based on fear, that doesn't have to do with with um, all these acrylic furnitures that you have to be locked in now in a new plastic bubble um, that, uh, I mean, we've had these conversations before that my concern is that are we designing something as a patch for now? Could the design solutions be much better than just uh, sterilizing everything and trying to clean everything up? Or is there other solutions that we're repairing where we want to be in the future, where it's, where we have more contact with nature, where we have more natural ventilation instead of uh, all the mechanical ventilations that we're uh, kind of used to. And, um, and again, a, a very important moment to, to reflect on. Um, it's, it's, very, it's very sad, everything that's going on in terms of, of 
people, of course, getting the virus and, of course, how many deaths we've, we've been having. It's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I think in the past three days here in the States, uh, there's been more deaths than 9-11. So just to compare, in three days. So, uh, so it's, it's, it's a crazy time where, where you also have to understand <clears throat> if you have a home and you can stay home and you can quarantine, that is a privilege in these times. So, so again, what do you do with that privilege and how do you use that to help others and how do you use that to engage in, in other aspects of, of the community? And, and when the pandemic started in March, I actually flew to Mexico. I wanted to be close to my daughter. Uh, I think that we all kind of uh, were a little bit moved and, and shaken and wanted to be, wanted to be close to, to your relatives or family. And, and uh, so I went down to Mexico and I was there for at least four months. And uh, we started to, to uh, help out the, in our immediate community because I, I always had this, uh, we, this conversation amongst friends. We said, okay, this is, this is a moment that you, if you're in your home, this is a good moment to do some introspection and see how you are. So I think that, that we all kind of first had an awareness of what our space is, that I think uh, as architects, we've always been aware, but now... Uh, people that don't even talk about architecture were understanding what the space of a house meant. Where, how are you confined? Where are you confined? What, are, what is the stuff that you have that today you think that that defines you? But then also, if you're in your house and, and you're going to clean up stuff in your house, which I think we all did, we all started throwing boxes that, that we wanted to get rid of that sometimes they're just stacked there if, over the years. But cleaning up the house also meant cleaning up yourself and, and figuring out the things that we're doing in, in our professions, in our, in our day-to-day, are we part of the problem or are we part of the solution? So and not only with what we do, but with how we do it, Martin, that I think is important because people might say, no, I'm doing this, this, this is great. Well, it could be great, but how you're doing it could be part of the problem. So I think that, that um, by saying that and saying, Again, how do we start helping our immediate community? Uh, I mean, I started engaging with, with Mexican fashion designers to do masks for people that could not even afford to have a mask and give them for free. Uh, also engaging with, uh, with the gastronomical community, figuring out how to um, help them thrive during these hard times. And, and, and which things that didn't have to do with architecture, because I think, I think these moments bring out more of our humanness experience rather than than this suit that you put on to say like, oh, I'm an architect or I'm a, a lawyer. Or I'm a, we're humans and we're living this moment that for the first time ever in history, the whole world is going through the same thing. There's never been a moment that the whole world was going through the same thing. Even in, in world wars, there were countries that were in wars, but never every single aspect of the planet was facing a pandemic that, that were... We need to understand what we're doing. Yeah, wow, and and you're dealing with that in in a really hyper way in New York, I think, because you know all of these things come at you so fast, uh, and this pandemic has come out in New York City so fast, and it's been relentless. So, yeah, the, the speed at which you have to kind of respond is is uh, is quite dramatic. Um, you you approach these issues of design of. Uh, well, of everything you touch, basically, from a very humanistic perspective. I mean, uh, you're super thoughtful. 
about our impact in the world, um, not just our, our physical, like environmental impact, but also cultural impact and how we treat each other. Architecture is kind of a, you know, a technical profession. You know, we, we all know that there's, there's sort of the more applied artists uh, among us in the profession, there's the, the, the technicians. Um, but you, you're known for not really being so interested in architecture initially. Um, but how, how did you get drawn and how did the interest evolve? Well, uh, first of all, I, mean, I started off as a musician. I don't, I don't know how many listeners know about my past, but I, I started off as a drummer. And I think you mentioned that, uh, well, you mentioned that before for sure, but uh, I was drumming in a band uh, that was called Alex Sintek y La Gente Normal in Mexico. We had four albums with Virgin Records. And um, the interesting thing about being a musician prior to starting to study architecture because uh, I was already playing drums and my first semester of architecture, we were signed in by, by the company, which was, I mean, crazy at that age to, to be signed by a major company. So um, I thought it was like amazing. I got like the lottery ticket. No, I'm gonna, I was 18 and I was already signing. So um, I had to face kind of this, this decision where I'm fortunate enough to have a, an amazing mom who's always been kind of this amazing divine feminine energy in my life uh, guiding me you know and she said well you can either not start school because you already have a band or you can keep on doing architecture and figuring out how that kind of helps you with your music and, and vice versa because you never know how things kind of turn out in your life so um i thought it was a great idea i said well, well i'm gonna do it until i cannot do it you no know? so um i started architecture and it's funny because or interesting rather than funny that um at the beginning, I was I, I enjoyed architecture. I was not that that uh, so much into it. I just like many people where you finish and you you have to study a career. You're not like a hundred percent convinced what you want to study. But um, as soon as I started with the band traveling more and we were on planes, uh, arriving to different countries, seeing infrastructure, seeing public spaces, seeing um, the way people lived in the different places, I started really understanding the power of architecture. I was really drawn to what architecture can do rather than architecture as a standalone or architecture as a standalone rather uh, the buildings what they can or the plazas or the spaces or the emptiness of the cities what what did they how did they impact communities and how communities engage with with everything so that's when architecture started uh, getting a lot of meaning and uh and and being more powerful in my mind I, I i was always and i have always been interested in what architecture can do and not only architecture again as a, as a standalone object so uh it took a while but uh, i'm happy that i that i did both things parallel for for a couple of years until i finally decided to to quit music and uh step back and uh let let the lead singer continue with his um project and uh and i of course, uh, would continue with my architecture. And, and does this, I mean, obviously this background has a huge impact on, on how you approach your work. Um, some of the questions we got from, from our listeners, uh, and quite frankly, there are a lot, were about inspiration and where do you draw your inspiration? Where do you find it from? Um, I imagine some of it comes from your musical background, your interest in arts. Uh, we've talked about this before in other formats, but like, can you tell us a little bit about this for some new listeners out there? Yeah, I, I, I think that um, coming from a musical background where where if you're a musician, you're always engaging 
film directors because you're doing videos, you're, you're engaging graphical designers because you're doing record covers. So there's this whole creative industry around you, which, which to me was fascinating because I learned a lot from, from the guys that were doing the graphic design for our covers. And I learned a lot from the guys that were doing our videos. So um, I think that, that I learned very, very early that I wanted to put more things in my head and more things that were not precisely one theme. Because I remember when I started, when I left the music and I, and I started uh, working as an architect full-time, uh, I missed the experience that would happen in music that you were always jamming. You were always playing with other musicians. You were always experimenting with music. You invited a friend to do some crazy videos to the music that you were uh, uh, writing or, or, or putting out there. So when, when I started in music, uh, in architecture, sorry, um, I was looking for people that were also ready to jam. And I found that there were not a lot of people open to the experience of collaborating because architecture and design, when I started off, was a little bit more jealous in that sense. It was like, no, 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 you do what you do. I'll do mine. I'm like, no, but we should jam and we should see what we come up with. And, uh, and um, it was interesting because I, I did found, find a... a, a a little bit of echo with a with a younger generation, and I mean now it's very common. Now, if you talk to designers, there's all these collectives and collaboration processes. But it wasn't like that at, 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 at a, a couple of years back in architecture and design. There was it was a very uh, like like solo profession where you didn't want to share what you had because you would think that people were stealing your ideas. And um, so having music as a as a side thing for architecture was really important for my creative process because I was not monothematic. No, I always remember hating being in meetings where if I was amongst my colleague architects and they would only be talking about architecture, I would just turn around and go away. It would be boring for me. I'm like, really guys? I mean, you're working all day in architecture and that's all you can talk about. Uh, I was like, what, what's your favorite movie? What did you see? What did you read? I mean, what's the music that you're listening to? I mean, what club did you go to? Who are you? Anything that just... Uh, that funny enough because it has to do with architecture a hundred percent, but you're not talking about the physical building or like, Oh, I'm doing this project. I'm doing that. So, uh, so yeah, it, it, it was even uh, really hard for me when I left music because when I was only doing architecture, I remember that I was missing something else. Uh, um, there came a point where I, uh, I, back in what 1999 that I was partners with Mikel Adria and Isaac Broid we didn't have a lot of work as architects and um so I said you know guys I'm going to take off and I'm going to take a course in film I want to study film because I want to get something else in my head and I want to see how that expands the way I see things and and the way I appreciate um, the profession of architecture but seen through a different lens no so I came to New York and I studied for a couple of months um, I did a quick intensive at NYU and, uh, and then I went back to architecture and then 2001, I opened up my firm, uh, solo again, Rojkin Arquitectos. And, um, but it's been ever since Martin. I mean, I'm always up to anybody suggesting a new book, anybody suggesting a new song, anything that, that I'm just open to, to the possibility of how things can transform the way you're seeing your life at the moment, no? And that, that to me, I think is growth, no? When you're open and, and receptive to things coming your way. Yeah, I think you've called this in the past your creativity jam. This is, uh, 
Yeah, I love this terminology because I looked at it, you know, I'm not practicing landscape architecture uh, per se right now. But uh, when I was doing this every day, you know, I was sort of bored by landscape architects. I wanted to collaborate with other folks. And so I always found my inspiration the same way you did. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that's the case for you. You also find it, I think, through, uh, through running. We talked about it a little bit. And um, that's associated with how you reflect. And I guess uh, there's some mindfulness in this and that you can... You know, you can't always have the chaos of creativity jams, right? You need to kind of step back and reflect on what you've learned in that process. Uh, but, but, but it's important to, uh, as you're mentioning now, Martin, I think it's important to understand that, or, or at least it's happened to me through time. I don't know if you, if you catch it immediately when you're, when you're growing up, but uh, that uh, in mindfulness or in your work, I mean... I always say that your practice is not your 9 to 10 a.m. yoga or your practice is not that you sit to meditate for 30 minutes. Your practice is your life. So if you don't make your life your practice, I think you're you're splitting so many use into so many parts that there is a lack of coherence. So so when people ask me, oh, the runner or I'm like, but I'm always the same person. No? So when I'm running, I'm running and it's it's changing things in my architecture, it's changing things in me. When I'm doing architecture, it's changing things for the runner and for the parent and for the, so so it's very, I have a hard time when people try to separate things. Like, no, 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 you you go to the gym at this hour and then you're a husband at this hour and then you're a parent at this hour. Like, aren't you everything all the time? So the more you kind of let go of that control of separating things, the better your life is going to feel because there's a, a sense of coherence and there's a sense of, of oh everything is just kind of flowing in the in a in a much effortless way no that it's not that you're not doing an effort to for your job but it's just like you're not struggling to to put a tag on the certain aspects of your life yeah in a very simplistic way i used to kind of struggle with the term like uh work life balance because i, I always and I, I still sort of do i think like well my life is balanced it's work i love it i i, I have other interests and, and it's all you know, it's all exciting for me. Otherwise, I, I try not to do it. Of course, not everyone can be in such a privileged position. Exactly. Uh, that's totally clear. Um, but but I understand the idea that, like, if we can try to learn from everything that we do and, and incorporate into our daily, you know, our daily lifestyle and uh, has some learnings from this and from each of our activities, then, yeah, I think uh, I think you can sort of get to that state of mindfulness in, in, in life and work. One thing I'm I'm sort of interested in is uh, is I don't know you're you're from the FA from Mexico City. Um, the last time we spoke was again like 2018. You you had just made a huge decision. Uh, you you said, hey man, like uh, you know, WeWork has just offered me a really good deal. It's not really public yet, um, but I'm thinking of doing this. And I'm thinking of moving to New York. I'm, I'm actually going, I think you were flying to New York very, very soon after we saw each other to look for, for an apartment. And you're, you're now sitting in that apartment in New York, right? Exactly, exactly. Well, I think like I always kept an eye on, on this part of your, your career because I'm fascinated by, by your life. I'm also fascinated with the work that you do as an architect. And I thought like, wow, how's this going to go? You know, this is, this is definitely the way I think I think and definitely a, wasn't surprising to me that, that you decided to, to, let's say, slow down the architecture practice a bit in order to join WeWork. 
as EVP of architecture, because I mean, what an exciting position, Adam called you up and said, like, would you like to come build 50 buildings for us? Um, like, I think I would do the same thing. Why not? Let's, let's try this out. Let's try it on. So you tried it on for a couple of years. There was like, I think pretty soon after you joined, I'd say like six to nine months, it was kind of chaotic. <laughs> um, do you want to talk about that a little bit and what's next? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, I mean, uh, first of all, again, and, and being open to experiences. No, I had a, a lot of my friends in Mexico saying like, you're crazy. How are you going to take this job? You've never worked for anybody in your life. Um, you also just finished Foto Boca, so you have this concert hall that you designed and, and your firm is, is in this amazing moment that you should um, not uh, take for granted. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not taking it for granted. I mean, in fact, uh, part of my negotiation to come to New York and, and help WeWork establish a ground up uh, aspect of the company was that I could still work with my company. So I, I never shut down Rojkin Arquitectos in Mexico. And it was interesting because even most of my clients, when they heard that I was going to come to New York, they were even more engaging with, with the office. Like, no, 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 now let's go forward with this project. So, uh, and, and of course, that sometimes tends to happen. Um, the second thing that to me was interesting is that Biarque was the one who had uh, brought me to the company. You no, know? Biarque uh, was an advisor to WeWork. And, um, and again, talking about jamming and, and collaborations, I mean, we, Biarque and me have a long history of a, a, a good friend relationship since a long time ago and we've done projects together so i thought like oh this could be interesting if he's an advisor and i come in and start running the ground up studio we could do great stuff together uh, it it worked really well and um at the beginning as you said then the chaos of the company iping or not iping and so it was also i learned a lot martin i really learned things that i would have never learned if i would still be in my office uh, in my studio in Mexico. So I, I don't regret it at all. It's been a wonderful experience. And, um, and now after two years and the change of, of, uh, of course, the founders are not in there. Adam and Miguel are out of the company. And um, so now it's uh, my contract came to an end and I'm going back to Mexico. So um, the experience here, 100% worthwhile. I, I met amazing people. Um, it's interesting because even uh, with what everything that's going on right now, um, a company like WeWork, we're starting to get a lot of companies asking for space because most of the big companies could not afford to make people commute to one single building. So they would tell people like, grab any WeWork, just work remotely if you can't work from home. So it was interesting to see it, it was interesting to see the shift or the opportunities or things that could that could happen uh, based on uh, how the world was handling the pandemic. But uh, but anyway, as as things comes to come, nobody knows that this is the first time I'm talking about it. My contract ended, and I'm uh, I'm now uh, packing New York, heading back to Mexico, and uh, and. Uh, going full on with the office no that I, that never stopped no so uh again i can't complain that the office didn't keep on working yeah i like that you did that i think you had the opportunity to stop uh working architectos uh, at the time and, and you said like no, no way why would i do that this is you know that's exciting and we'll keep it going and like what a good decision now you're going back into it it seems like it, you, you've had uh, projects which are quite interesting we'll talk about a couple of them in a second um, so I'm excited for this next phase, and a lot of the, a lot of my like uh, my life is influenced by where I am, 
you know, the people I'm with uh, and, and the, the cultural experiences that I get to kind of, uh, I'm lucky enough to, to see. So New York's one thing, like, uh, you know, I, I'm from there. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a fucking chaos uh, all the time. And it's an, it's an amazing chaos. Um, I love the energy. Uh, in fact, I feed off of it. Um, DFA has similar ener- uh, similar kind of energy. Um, are you excited to go back and, and sort of like really immerse yourself? Uh, I know you've been going back, uh, you know, a lot, but you'll be immersed now again in, in Mexican culture. How's this going to be for your work? That, I mean, a hundred percent. I mean, I, first of all, I love Mexico. I'm, I was born and raised there, but uh, second, my daughter is there. No, um, there, there was a point where I wanted my daughter to come and study here in New York. And um, she was a bit hesitant. So coming back to the family, first of all, is great for me. And, uh, and, and again, I mean, I, I just love the, I love places that are a bit chaotic in terms of, of how do you thrive in such a chaos? No, so when things don't work, I mean, I'm used to that in Mexico, and um, because we're always, I've always heard the word crisis. No, I've always heard the world, uh, the the word, uh, oh, things could be better. No, and um, and uh, and our system doesn't work, so we have to kind of plan around the system, which is which is. Which is interesting because what's happening in the states right now—it's like this total chaos of a, of a system that definitely is just showing us how bad it is from 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 the roots, no? So everything that we're seeing now is just is just showing us the reality of how things are, no? Which uh, which in Mexico we get that every single day, every single day. So uh, so going back to Mexico, it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting, and uh, I made. I introduced some of my clients to, when I, when I was here in New York to the people from WeWork. Yeah, I introduced WeWork to some of my clients, so it was it was kind of a good mix. I I have really good relationships now that are that were built during these two years in New York, and and um, and happy to see what evolves from there. You know? And uh, and uh, what what keeps on building. <laughs> Yeah, it's exciting. You know, when, when I when I came to Prague, I thought I would come for two years, which is about how long you've been in New York. And now I've been in Prague for almost five. And, you know, my family is still asking me, like, every time we get on a FaceTime, like, hey, when, when are you guys coming home? You know, <laughs> so uh, I, I can I can imagine, you know, we have a big, close um, Irish Catholic family. I can imagine that there's uh, some kind of similar family relationships as we have. So uh, I can imagine it's exciting. Um, hey, the the let's let's shift gears a, a little bit um, to Fora Boca, uh, Siniteca, and, and uh, cultural spaces that you've designed and developed, and I'm sure there are more on the horizon that I, that I don't know about. Um, uh, the Nestle Chocolate Museum is is one of them. Um, so Siniteca, Fora Boca, the museum work. How how are the, these concepts um, and the spaces influenced by your cultural background and music, like? Um, when you think of designing these spaces, um, d- does your musical background come into play in, in how you think about the programming and how you think about people who use them? I mean, definitely. Uh, I would have to say 100%, not, not in the way that people might imagine that or if, it's, if it's translated in terms of the rhythm and the cadence. No, I mean, it's more of the collaborations. No? It's more about um, what's the dream team for the project? Who do you want? It's like bringing people to record an album. It's like, what musicians do you want for that album? No, who's going to play the saxophone? Who's going to play? Uh, who's going to do the backing vocals? So, uh, so it's like I, I love the idea of, of always. I had the opportunity to grow a big firm, and I, I never was interested in growing that big. I, I, I was 
comfortable when I knew the names of the people that work with me. When I started not knowing who was the guy in the back doing the physical models, I would I would start being a little bit hesitant of, of the way we were driving the company. So so by being a, a middle-sized company and now even, even smaller than that because I, I decided to downsize and be more collaborative where we invite or associate younger offices to play uh, with us or to jam with us, as I would say. And, and customize teams for the different projects. So it, um, it, it's a great experience because you're you're assembling and disassembling teams. You're working together. You do a project. You collaborate. You associate. You give them a name and a responsibility as a partner for for the project. Which sometimes I wish somebody would give me a break when I started that way. No, that would call you up and say, "Oh, I like your young firm. Come in." Even though I did uh, when I was partners with with Mikel and with Isaac. But um, but uh, I think that the work or the way that we're approaching work with the office uh, to me makes a lot of sense because I'm getting to know different minds in the process. And uh, so um, one of our main concerns, as you've known, Martin, is that what do our projects give back? No, what do our projects are they capable of being more than just the architecture? So um, when we were doing. Uh, I mean, Nestle is a great example because Nestle, the chocolate museum, the company never asked for a chocolate museum. I remember that the brief was uh, doing something for the factory so they could bring kids to see the production of chocolate. And, and uh, long story short, brand the name of the company to the kids and give them some chocolates in the bag. And I said, why? Uh, you know what? Let's wait a minute. I think we can do much more than that. I think that they're... We can, we can leverage the possibility of having a chocolate museum where the Mexican government hasn't paid attention to that. And we should honor chocolate in Mexico since, since we know it was so important for the Aztecs. And, and again, yeah, we have a, a, a huge history of chocolate in Mexico. So uh, we convinced them to do a chocolate museum that would give something back to the city. So it's like, I don't care if you want to brand the company. That's perfect. And it's underst- understandable. But... What if you give us something in return? So um, that's the first moment that I realized that we could expand the scope of a project. I never thought that you could change a client's mind that way or, or question even the, the, the program because sometimes they give you a program and you just are, are a well-behaved boy. You take the program and you go and do your work and come back and then you get a star on your forehead. And um, of course, I've never been that kid. But uh, uh, so in architecture, I, I started behaving the same. I said, I... Maybe, maybe this is wrong. Maybe what you're asking is not right. And we're going to waste time and we're going to waste money. So why don't we reframe the project? Why don't we reframe the program or the problem that you think we're solving? And uh, so that, that gave us a lot of, or gave me a lot of strength in how to pursue and push projects. So even a, a lot of years later, like projects like Cineteca, Cineteca, of course, a government project, uh, the ending of the term of Calderon, our, our president back in, in, in those days, and, um, and a, a very important art and a cultural piece in Mexico. Uh, and they gave us a program, and we also were um, very strong in, in questioning what the program was. And if we could do the outdoor cinema that was not proposed at the beginning, and if we can convert uh, most of the project into a park, rather than have the parks, uh, the cars being parked in in the property. So uh, we pushed the cars outside. So we had a, a, a car garage uh, 
uh, on the outside so people can park on the outside and, and things that would give something in return. They would give a public park to the city. They would give uh, a place for people to gather. And I think that the beauty of, uh, if you look back at Cineteca now, it was, it was a bit criticized back in the days when it opened because it was not finished. So uh, the president, uh, instead of opening the building, he said, we're going uh, we're gonna to do a site visit. <laughs> so he called it a site visit. And of course, it finished a couple of months later with a new government. Um, but anyway, I think it's uh, one of the most cultural successful projects that we have in Mexico City because now it gets a lot of people that don't even go to the movies. They just go there for having a coffee. They enjoy it as a public space. They go to see the museum that was um, a, a part of the building that was done by Mauricio Rocha, a Mexican colleague of mine. And, um, and um, the other project is a little bit the same. But um, the one that kind of echoed more, Martin, in terms of music and architecture has to be Foro Boca because that, that kind of unites my two passions no? or, or, or some of my passions, which is architecture and music. So having to do a concert hall for the Philharmonica of Boca del Rio um, being in so many stages playing myself, it's like, what am I going to do? What, what's the type of space that you want to create for this? And, uh, and again, we were fortunate enough to have been invited by um, Miguel, uh, Miguel Angel Yunes from the, the mayor of Boca del Rio uh, to even select a site. I remember that there were a couple of sites and there were, of course, a couple of sites in fancy neighborhoods. And, and, and you know me, I said, let's go to the worst site that you have. Let's see what's the potential of. And, 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 and that's where we built the building. I mean, uh, uh, it was a. Not, not, not the worst. I mean, it was the worst of the ones we had in terms of uh, uh, very poorly developed. <clears throat> there were a couple of buildings that had started, but then they they didn't finish the construction, so they were abandoned buildings. And um, a lot of people didn't pay attention to that area because you had the north winds uh, hitting very hard from the from the from the ocean, and so so you would get sand on the on the road, and you would get sand on on some of the the buildings that that were around there. So we said, well, let, let's start it here. Let's do it here and let's understand how this can ignite potential development around the area. So it's, it's, instead of doing a building, to me, it's like planting a seed. It becomes kind of this, it's a very different metaphor of this objectified or object thing that is just there as a standalone rather than, uh-uh, watch it root. Watch it when it starts uh, rooting out. Watch it as it as the seed starts growing. It starts populating every uh, other aspect, and and we'll see in time. And that's that's a little bit uh, what you're seeing with with uh, with Cineteca. That's what happened with Mercado Roma. That's a very small project, but also very meaningful in terms of uh, what it did to the community. And um, in Forovoca, you'll see the same. I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing. Uh, images of, in, or photographs in the future of the new developments around the area, for sure. Yeah, Fotoboca is, is uh, well, this is an unbelievable building that I have not yet uh, visited, so that's one of our next trips uh, together. Um, but the, 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 the hardware of this building is clear, right? It's crystal clear. The, like, the, the forms are really poetic uh, at that point along the water. Um, the fourth dimension that we would describe as kind of the software, it's, it's harder to, to realize in such a building. So um, can you give an example, like what, what's something that, like, uh, that you like about 
the, the freedom that you've given people to create their own spaces, to do their own things. Like, do you have a good example story or, you know, some space that you really love? Yeah. I, I, but I, I think it's important that when you're working with your clients, where you're working with the community, where you're engaging the community, it's, it's, it's being again, open to listen and open to understanding the other things. I, we also talked about designing for other things to happen or not, not being so obsessed about controlling your design a hundred percent that you would leave areas to see how society kind of engages those areas and kind of, kind of how they appropriate that. So um, it's been interesting because again, you have to kind of set, set, the, the, the platform or set the set set a place where you can have these conversations where Cineteca knows that they could do a theater and they can do rock concerts and they can have a DJ playing in the gardens. So the same thing happened with Foto Boca. When, when we were designing Foto Boca and we were talking to the Philharmonica, it was from day one, we said, okay, this is the house, this is the house for the Philharmonica. It's, it's a place specifically designed for the Philharmonica. But what if the Philharmonica opened its space as a cultural space and they invited other people to come in? And um, of course, you have, besides the big hall, you have a smaller hall where you can have a DJ playing there. You can have performances, theater, you can have uh, workshops, you can have many things happening. And uh, once they understand the flexibility, they start using it. But sometimes I think it's the mistake of the architect and the and the person hiring the architect was like, no, 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 this is 100% just the house of the Philharmonica. And when you think about it, it's like, yeah, but how many days a year is the Philharmonica going to play? That's not enough. So if you want to do something that really does and, 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 and gives something back to the community, you have to engage with other aspects. And the beautiful thing now with Foro Boca is that you have the book fair. So they have a, uh, the most important book fair in, uh, in Boca del Rio is done inside the, the Foro Boca. So there's a book fair. They've now done like amazing yoga uh, retreats where you're either on the wave breaker, but also on the outside, the, the outside plazas. And um, uh, they have all, they've done all, all sorts of concerts on the inside and also on the outside. Remember that Foro Boca, everything that happens on the inside is projected outside. So any concert that happens at night uh, that is played on the inside of the, of the theater is, is, uh, is shown on the outside for people that cannot afford to pay a ticket. So, so that's, uh, uh, it's interesting to see that because every day I'm surprised to see something new. No, I mean, I remember the first time I saw like, a, I don't know, a hundred mats of yoga outside of the, of, uh, because what I was saying that, that the, the, the harshest north winds hit there the way Foro Boca is, is put on site, it protects uh, where one of the main plazas is, where you access the building, that's protected by the building. So if people chill out there, they're like super comfortable because they're not getting hit by the wind. The building is actually protecting them. So so when I was seeing like all these yoga mats on the outside and people were, were doing these these wonderful uh, sunrise uh, meditations, I was like, wow, this is this is this is what I, what should happen. And then and then that's where we learn. And, and this is also another conversation that we've had, Martin, that, that it's very important to understand that as the people designing things, we're open to learning. It's, I think that this, this character that thinks he cannot learn anything else and just comes and gives you his thing and like, no, 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 this is what you need to do and, and follow my rules and follow my, I don't know. I, I would always be 
doubtful of a person that thinks he knows it all. No, and I'm always I, I always am. So um, so it's beautiful to see how these these uh, buildings evolve through time and just knowing that that uh, I mean the learning from there takes you to another building. Like what if we prepare now a concert hall to have uh, a book fair on the inside or to have anything else that can happen on the inside. So adaptability, flexibility, and resilience, which we're seeing in these times more than ever. And this idea of not knowing it all is, is really important because, I mean, you often see this uh, in architecture that, you know, it's, it's sort of like... Um, Oh, this idea of like the, the male architect who knows everything and, and wants to design the project his way and only his way. And, and so it's so refreshing to see this more inclusive kind of bottom-up approach. And one project you've done that I think quite well in is, uh, is Mercado, um, where let's design a market not from the top down, but more of this kind of inclusive um, bottom-up approach with the market players, stakeholders, and, and chefs. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, about that process, yeah, that that was that was a beautiful project and a very meaningful for me because um, even though it's it, it's small, Mercado Roma is a very small market in Mexico City. Actually, it's a refurbishment of a, an existing um, a place where people would used to go dance, El Barleón, and um, so it was amazing that you had like all these famous dancers and singers back in those days. But uh, so the building was very. Uh, I mean, it had gone through very, several changes. And when we got it, we just cleaned the bones and, and opened up the space. And when we started working on the project, I, I remember that people were very concerned about like, oh, you think you guys are going to do a, a market? Mexico doesn't need more markets. Mexico already has its its classical markets. I'm like, no, no, this is great. And and uh, I love the traditional markets, but but I also want to pay attention to a new generation that might be out there that might need a space so that's when we started doing kind of this reverse engineering for the project. Instead of designing something with, with okay, let's do these uh, stalls for people to rent, and that's the spaces X by X, and, and, and look for somebody that rents it, and anybody can rent it, doing the opposite. Going to, uh, first, my friends, that, that, that my friends that are chefs in Mexico, saying like, oh, well, you guys know the producer, so which which you guys think are producers that might need a space that I can go and talk to. So uh, they sent me to their produce, their, their, the people that were giving, selling them produce. And, uh, and then I, I met amazing people like, like people that were in the production of cheese and milk and oatmeals and, and other people that were doing like all these uh, beautiful vegetables that were cultivated in the Chinampas, which are the lakes, uh, uh, the water in Mexico city in the South where, where they cultivate uh, on top of the water. No. So, uh, I started bringing a lot of these people to the client. Like, like, why not talk to them, figuring out, figure out how much, what do they need? What's the space they need? How do they, uh, how can they come together? And, um, and, and we started creating a community, creating a community that also was important for us that in a market, uh, I remember that at the beginning, the client was a little bit skeptical and, oh, we can't have a guy selling burgers and then another guy selling burgers in the back. I'm like, well, if they get along and they share a couple of, I mean, maybe, why don't we bring people that can add instead of subtract? I want, I want a place where if you're finishing 
uh, your, I don't know, your coffee in the morning. They send you to buy a sandwich in the back. And then the guy in the sandwich sends you to get a mojito and maybe stay for the, because there, there used to be a, or there, there still is a piano bar. Uh, you could stay for the piano bar and go up to the bar. So it, it took a little bit of, of working with them. But, but in my mind, Martin, this is also design. When, when we as architects think that design is just when you grab your pencil and sketch something and that's designed because it's going to become a wall, I think that's, at least to me, it's very limited. To me, the design of talking to people, the design of how you're approaching a project, the design of, of, of putting together the need and a space that will take that need and convert it into a physical space is, uh, is, is, is very important. It's a very important process of, of how we work in Rojkin Arquitectos. And it became a very successful market. And people in Latin America started copying the model. And I, I would remember developers coming to me like saying, oh, we want to hire you and we want to show you these references. There's this very famous market in Mexico. And I'm like, yeah, well, we designed it. <laughs> and, uh, and they'll be like, no way. Uh, oh, it's good to know because we're already going to hire the another architect, but uh, I, I'm glad. I mean, I, and I'm glad that, that, that a project, uh, uh, it doesn't matter the size, it can have impact no matter what, no? So I think it's important to, to uh, figure out, again, when the, you're given a program, is that the right program for you to design? And, and how are you going to approach it? And that's, that's also what I was saying when we started the conversation. It's not, it's not what you do. But it's also how you do it, Martin, that to me talks about the person you are, no? And again, especially in these crazy, crazy times that we're living today. Yeah, good. It's a good segue into, I think it's, um, it's Umara. It's the, the hotel that you're designing, a hospitality uh, resort. And it's, you know, a classic case. I can imagine the first meeting in the, in the design brief. And I can imagine the follow-up meeting where you came back with a different brief. Um, were you told to design, you know, the new concept of hospitality or was this something you brought to the client? What does that really mean? No, it was, a, it was, um, it, it's a very beautiful project because a, a friend of mine, a architect owned the site. And, um, I remember him trying to do a project there always, and he, he didn't manage to do it. And they, it came to a point where he sold it. And when he sold it, uh, he told me he had sold it. I'm like, no, but that was like a like three hills, three three perfectly beautiful hills. One that the one hill is was chopped. The top was uh, uh, the previous owner had had flattened it out, so he wanted to do something on top of one of the the, the three little hills, and um and then it was crazy. I got a call by a guy who wanted to hire me as an architect, and when he showed me the site, I'm like, no way, it, this is the site of my friend. And uh, so I was happy that at least it got, it, it, it landed in our lab, no? So uh, uh, we were invited to do this. He always had the intention of hospitality. So we put together a team of, of, of experts as we always do. And um, we started working with him, but um, uh, this is a project that, that it, the, the appealing part to me is that we wanna, we're working with the, with the local people. So we said, well, why don't we do something that we can mix concrete with a with a uh, I mean a pigmented concrete that looks like the, the sand of the place but we can also use the earth to create uh, bricks from the from the local earth when we're doing the excavations and so we're mixing a, a brick project that I haven't used before 
in, in, in any of my projects. So it's a brick and concrete project that um, that starts kind of mimicking within the within the context. No, it starts kind of uh, wanting to adapt and to and to hide a little bit in some parts, and in some other parts. It, it actually creates kind of the opposite effect as some of the rocks and stones that are there, no? So when you see the pool area for the wellness aspect of the of the project, they're like kind of these inverted bowls, no? So you see these kind of circular bowls coming out of the out of the ground and and integrating with the with the rocks that are around there. So uh, um, it, it's interesting also because. We designed this project in 2016, so almost five years ago, and um, and I thought it was not going to happen because it, it took the client a long time to kind of um, get traction, and uh, it started this year. So uh, at the end of the year, they started. Uh, they're, they're doing the winery, so they're going to start in phases. So we're actually getting the winery started. I'll probably have some pictures to share in a couple of months um, when the winery is finished and some villas. And a beautiful place in Ensenada. So, so people that are hearing us, Ensenada, if you cross the border from San Diego to Tijuana, then you drive like an hour uh, more to Ensenada. And Ensenada is a beautiful place where you have these. It's, it's like our wine, our wine area of Mexico, you know, where we have these amazing chefs and and uh, and great production of wine. Yeah, I went when I was living in uh, in California one time. Went south of the border. It's a beautiful, beautiful landscape. So that's that's good to know. And what happened? It, it's a resort and and it's a retreat. Uh, you imagine this to serve like a normal hotel, or people stay longer, or how does it work? Yeah, it, it's a it's a. I mean, you could go to the winery. It's a, you have the villas for a retreat, so it's a bit of a hotel as well. You have like a, a wellness component, so you can go and just chill out and have like a. Uh, a wellness experience of meditation, walking around these, the different areas. Uh, there's also a different chapter for the project that's uh, artist residencies that is not fully developed yet, but uh, the client wants to push forward for the artist residencies as well. And um, and because yeah, the, the client himself is a uh, he loves he he has his own art practice and uh, and he's doing interesting stuff uh, that that he still wants. He's still not showing to anybody yet, but uh, he's kind of uh, enjoying his own process. But uh, so I think it will definitely evolve into into the artist residencies as well. But uh, you can expect a couple of villas that people can go and stay in uh, next. Uh, I mean, this year for sure you know, as an experience in in Valle de Guadalupe. Yeah, amazing. So uh, one other project in Mexico I'd love to talk about is you posted a few times. So um, it's something you're you're clearly engaged with. So I saw on your Instagram, um, but not published anywhere else. There's a villa near Acapulco uh, that you're working on. It's I think Casa Pashidi. Uh, is what? Can you tell us more about this? Oh yeah, that's in in in, uh, in the. Estado de Mexico, next to Mexico City. It's a couple of, um, uh, like 40 minutes away of Mexico City. It's a house for a friend of mine, uh, Casa Pasadi. And, uh, and um, I, I kind of loved coming back to the experience of designing a house. I love designing houses. And I, I sometimes um, worry when my clients are like, oh, but you're already doing concert halls and the film institute. And uh, don't worry, don't worry. I can still do your house. <laughs> you can still hire us to do your house. I love doing houses. And uh, 
And uh, yeah, I mean, we're doing, we're, I'm doing that one and talking about houses or small projects. I'm also doing a small project with Knox Robinson. And Knox Robinson is like this amazing runner that started Black Roses here in New York. And we're doing some cabins for altitude training. So, um, I mean, I, I love the intricacies of, of, of jumping the different scales, no? But uh, Casa Pasada, you'll see it's a, it's a house that the, the main circulation of the house becomes kind of the spiraling structure for the, for the whole project. So, so it's a black concrete um, that we work very carefully to, to, to have for the circulations and then a very intimate circulation where it's a little bit uh, darker and you have more sentinel, uh, I mean, light from the, from, uh, from the roof coming in, filtering in a beautiful way. And then you kind of pop out to the spaces and you pop out to the, to the bedrooms and to the other spaces that connect uh, completely to nature. And that circulation encloses a courtyard uh, uh, the wife of, of my friend, Jorge, uh, Connie, is the, the, his wife, um, is a yoga teacher and has a yoga studio. So she wanted kind of this uh, very chill Zen garden in the middle of the house. No, that was, uh, that was protected by the house. So it has kind of this beautiful uh, expression of, of, uh, of containment, no? that, uh, a place where you feel protected by the house itself. And, and also interesting because the way they live, the house has access to the kids' rooms independently from the house. So uh, they're, they, they have a, a teenager kids. So they're like, oh, no, we want them to have their independence. And just, I mean, they don't have to come in through the main door of the house. They can have their, 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 and I, and I think that's a great way to, I mean, first to have a good relationship with your kids. But second, even think that when the kids are not there anymore, when they, when they grow up, you can maybe rent out some rooms as an Airbnb experience for somebody else while you're living in the rest of the house. No. Yeah. Cool. I, I like the house and, and I was particularly, I love talking to you because we had this kind of telepathy. I was going to ask you a question about scale and jumping between scales. Cause it's hard. I mean, it's like a, it's not everyone likes it and even more so, so most people aren't that good at it, zooming in and out, but, but um, you are. So what's the thread? I mean, there's gotta be a thread, right. That goes between, the large spaces and, and, and buildings and, and the smaller ones? Is there some kind of thread that you kind of can weave between them or is it a completely different thought process? No, I think, I think it's, I always say that, and not only in architecture, Martin, I think that in life in general, if there's no growth in anything that we're doing, I don't want it. So if it's a small project, if there's growth, as, as, as for instance, Knox and me as friends, coming together to do this project, if we grew in the process because we know we're doing something, in this case, for the running community, I'm good. We're, we're growing. There's, there's, there's a certain beauty. And again, talking about seeds and gardens growing, it is that you're, you're kind of dropping these seeds in the house of a friend. That are we doing something meaningful for his family? Are we doing something that when they invite people to the house, it has kind of an experience for the people that are invited or it's just like this show off house that they want to do. No. So, so again, the, the, I think that the, the thread is, I want meaningful. I want, I want things that I look back and say, this is, this was worth doing. And, and I learned how I grew in this process. And I always, I also talk a lot about what we built and ends up building us. No. So, 
So anything that we're doing is like, how did it come back to me? And how am I reacting now as a person to, for the next project? So, so um, I mean, I, I think they're, we're always excited. We're, we're a company or, or an office that, that focuses on, on doing tailor making projects. So we're not, we're not doing cookies or we're not doing like sandwiches that, no, I would never do that because I enjoy the process of learning what's the new possibilities. What are the new techniques? What are the new companies that we can work with? And, um, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll hear about this soon. There's a couple of projects. I, we got our first uh, commission to do some houses in, um, in Ar- in Arkansas and Bentonville. So, uh, you're gonna, you're gonna see soon. That's also not. Uh, we haven't told anybody, but we have two houses that are gonna uh, start uh, this year, and we're excited because it's a it's a new market for us. It's the United States. We hadn't done uh, anything in the United States. Uh, one of the buildings that we worked on for for WeWork is uh, broke ground, so that's also gonna be uh, seen this year. And uh, in that building that we. Worked uh, during the period of WeWork, we were fortunate enough to also invite Stefan Sagmeister to to do an art piece on on some of the ramps that you'll see. This is a bikeable building, and I won't tell you too much because you'll probably hear more more news after. But uh, but yeah, I think that again, uh, it's like, what are you getting into? Are is it is are you is it motivating for you? Is it so? More often than not, we get these clients that are asking the same questions like, oh, well, what can we do with this? So can, can you do with us what you did with, with a company like Liverpool? Or can you do with us like they did with uh, High Park in Monterrey as a residential? So, so I think that's, that's uh, I really like that, that more clients are approaching with that same vibe. No? And especially even now, again, talking about what the world is facing I mean, and how we're going to do our job and what we're doing. I think that it's important to really acknowledge what are we going to put out there. No? Yeah, and I think it's important that, that when a client loves the work that you do, and they come to you and, and they ask, like Michelle, we love Liverpool or or Fotoboka, um, uh, we want you to build that. It's really important, I think, for architects to say, no, you know, we're not going to design that, but you, you you can't have that, but you can have access to my mind, which will get you something that gave us that, right? So that's, I think that's the way you're, you're approaching the projects and that's, that's the right way. So we're looking forward to seeing the work with Stefan. That's, that's cool. Yeah, and, 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 and say, talk about that really quick, Martin, is I always, more often than not, every time we get a project, I propose to have a preface of the project before jumping into schematics, concept design, DDs and CDs, which was normally not, Typical, no, no, typical, you would get a program and we just jump into the project. So here we always uh, propose to the client, what if we do a two-day workshop? Why do we help you kind of have clarity and the right vision for the project um, put down the scope, exactly what we need to do, who we need to tackle, who are the stakeholders, who are the right uh, people involved in the project? And then we start the project, which, which has given us more satisfaction with the client uh, in the overall process of the project. Yeah, that's great. There's uh, some questions from the audience, and, and I also have like a couple things we could talk about. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into COVID because honestly, I think we're all like so fatigued by this. Uh, you talked about it a little bit um, in, in the beginning of the episode, but like one thing we're, we're you know, everyone's sort of interested in is um, 
you know, we're going to come out of this and, and New York City and, and Mexico City and other cities are going to recover. It's going to take some time. Um, but what role do you think sustainability has in this recovery and creating a little more equitable place, a place that's you know a little bit more fair, maybe? First of all, I, I think it's that, Martin. I think that that I would talk first about about justice, about about fairness, about equality, about what are the things that that are that got us here. So, how do we fix that? How do we fix systemic issues that have been put in our face and we're more sensitive and we're more open to really feeling it now, maybe because we're a hundred times more vulnerable than we've ever been before. And um, so with that awareness and with that sensibility, how do we start working? And I think one of the first mistakes that I would come back to reframing is our relationship with nature. What have we done with nature? No, Do we put it aside and say it's a park? Uh, or we have a plant in our house and say, oh, yes, this is we're, we're getting green. We have a planter in our house. Or, or do we really start questioning our relationship to the environment and what we've done to the environment? So, uh, I mean, there's a lot of all these conversations now about um, uh, introducing more open spaces, more green spaces. Uh, a lot of countries and, and parts in Europe are, are shutting down streets and making them pedestrian and and then making them for bike lanes. So, so I, I think that our the way we have engaged cities has to change, and the way we have engaged even even the conversations with ourselves, and even the relationship that we have with. Um, uh, and again, I don't want to get too deep into the the, the conversation, but even the relationship to the other, um, with everything going on, if somebody that died is not close to me. I'm kind of not too much affected by it because I, I don't know the person that is dying. So it's like, why did we, how did we come to be like that? Uh, anybody that dies is a tragedy. It doesn't have to be your immediate family. We should be horrified that, that people are, are dying because that's the reality. And if they're dying, what, what, what is it for? Are we, is that being, uh, is that happening because we're going to change for something better? I mean, are we going to honor the people that or understanding the value of their lives and honoring that to be better in a community that needs to change in certain ways? Or are we going to stay the same? Because when people are asking like, oh, I want to go back to normal. I'm like, really? What are you talking about? The normal that we had is, is I mean, look at the normal that we have. It's, it's, it's crazy. So, so understanding and I, I, I was always, I, I was having even these conversations with my daughter saying like, Nina, it starts just by a hello. It, it starts by saying hello to the person that you're walking next to in the sidewalk, just by saying hi. We forgot to say hi to the person in front of us. We forgot to engage in our everyday to see if we could help the other, if we could engage in any way, if we can help a person cross the street, if we can... Because we're always talking about what we'll do in the future and how we will perform in the future, and we forget now. So um, coming back again to, to how cities, I think, will, will change and evolve, it's, it's what we're seeing now. It's, uh, I, I hope we will get less and less uh, plastic bubbles and, and all these acrylic things that divide us and, and only show us that uh, that, yes, we have to take care, but maybe if we 
we're more interested in our scientists and our doctors and our researchers, and we put more money there instead of putting money in some other places, we would be prepared better for things like this, no? And, um, and instead of spending all the money and, 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 and the band-aids, no? And like all the, all the little things that, I mean, some companies that we saw, Martin, were, were clever enough to say, I don't want to have my people back in the company. I'm going to let them stay home and they'll come back in 2021 because I don't want to go through the problem of refurbishing the whole building with all these acrylic elements that are going to cost me a fortune. And then I'm going to have to throw away uh, maybe in 2021 or 2022 or whatever this thing is over. So I think that was a, was a, a clever move. And, and, um, I mean, it, it's hard for us as designers not to be optimistic of, of, of changes, no, because that's what drives design. We're optimistic that things could change. We're optimistic of having greener cities and, and more walkable cities and more people having better quality of life and more, um, more opportunities or at least the same opportunities as everybody else. So, so I mean, there's a lot of things that have to change a lot of things. I mean, we're in a, we're in a world right now that every single day there's a new lesson. We saw it. I mean, yesterday in Washington, no, it's like, Wow, I mean, all these things going on, it, but it's just putting it in your face. And maybe before you were so distracted because you were not quarantining that you would not pay attention to it. But now that you're in lockdown, it just hits you in, in, in I mean, to the center of your heart. And there's no way you can avoid paying attention to all these inequality, systemic problems that we have in all the countries, no? Because, I mean, yes, I'm here in the States, but this is a reflection of the world in general, that this is something that's, that happens in Mexico and then it happens in, in every other part, that, that there's, there's an unprecedented, there's this crazy, uh, unequal, uneven uh, opportunity for, for, for everybody, no? That, that has to change. So we'll see. We'll see what... We'll see what what happens because as, as we know, and, and as you see from New York, every day you wake up and people go outside and they go and it, and it starts over and over and over. And, and the restaurants that are now outside because you cannot see people on the inside, they took the streets and now they're putting the heaters because it's cold. So they're adapting to all these different conditions, no? And um, which again, it's, it's like a, a real time lab that you're seeing or witnessing uh, some ideas will, will, I mean, some other countries will take on these ideas and some others we will take from, from, from other parts, but we will learn. We will learn to be better, hopefully. Let's do one more question, Michelle. <laughs> uh, would you like to add anything? I think you said a lot. And, and in fact, I have like five, six questions here from, from the audience, but you, you mentioned a lot of the things that they're asking already. So is there anything that I've missed that you'd like to talk about? No, no, I think that, I mean, we, 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 we had this project that I think you were going to talk about that, uh, Martin, which is uh, the, the memorial. And I think, for instance, nobody asked us to do a memorial. But I think that uh, I, I remember being shocked when I saw the cover of the New York Times with the, with the names of all the people that had passed away. And they didn't even fit the cover of the New York Times. No, And, and again, it's like, it's like nobody's asking us to do it, but I think we need to propose some things that will help us 
understand how to be better. So having a, a memorial in Times Square where we could have names of people that have passed away here in New York and or have one in Mexico, in Socalo, um, would at least give us the sensibility to, to recover our humanity and recover that we need to we need to feel what's going on and we need to that's the only thing that's going to help us change we need to understand and um, help people that have lost their relatives but also help ourselves in a relationship to the other and that was that was what this whole piece was about no our relationship to that the other should be as important as me no and i think we're in this time that everything is so I mean, fortunately, we slow down, no? So this awareness of slowing down gives us this ability to, to figure out, do we want to recover that fast pace? Do we want to recover that speed that we used to have? Or, or how are we going to change? No. But anyway, let's, let's go to the questions that you have from, from, from the audience. Yeah, no, I think you, you, you answered most of them, so I actually won't go through one by one. But there is one, there is one question that I, I thought, like, no, I'm never going to ask this question. Um, but, but then as I'm listening to you and thinking again about it, I think it's actually quite interesting um, to rephrase it. Um, if you're a young architect out there um, and, you know, maybe you're from a minority community or you're from, let's say, a disadvantaged background, how do you get known? You know, what's to, what do you do to get, to get projects to, to start making an impact? Um, because we, we both know people. Uh, that kind of came out of nowhere into the profession and, and made a huge impact. So um, maybe some life lessons on, on this, both of our experiences, um, the people we know, I think, what's your advice to young architects out there who want to come into the world and, and make an impact, but they don't really, you know, no one's going to gonna help them. Well, for, first of all, I think that there's never been, a better time to, to show your work in, taste, in terms of all the media. I remember, Martin, that before, if you wanted to get published, oof, you would have to send, a, a, well, I would send first DVDs with the images in a, in a DVD that, that maybe somebody would read it at the, at, the, at the publishing company or not. So there was not, I mean, there were not so many, uh, websites, no? Now there's websites that you can even publish your work. You don't even have to ask the website. They, they, they already send you a link that if you think your work is good, you just publish it and they review it and they just say, okay. So there's never been a better time to, to put stuff out there to understand if what you're doing is good or bad. Because you, you in two seconds, you could be criticized as an idiot or in two seconds, people will start sharing your project and it started gaining traction and people will talk about it. So, so I would be, I would just recommend not to be shy of, of showing work. And, and I always, when I talk to my students uh, in the different schools that I've taught in architecture, I always say, remember that you're building architecture with your thoughts. So you're building architecture with your words, you're building architecture. It's, it, it doesn't have to always reach the, the, the physical aspect of, of blocks and bricks and, and concrete, uh, that will get you there. But if you're building a dialogue that starts creating uh, a strong argument about the way you see life, you, they, they'll get to a very interesting place. I think that, uh, as I was explaining the, the memorial, nobody asked for that. So 
well, I mean, now I have a team and I could do it with a couple of people from my office. But when I was working on my own, I would sit down and sketch and 3D the thing and render it and, and just show it. So, so I think right now the response to what's happening is needed everywhere. So designers in every part of the world have a great opportunity to show what could happen. How can we design something which is not based on fear? How do we design something to come back to our basic needs, no? to, to consume less, to engage better with the other, to have a better relationship to nature? So all these concepts, how do you bring them down to projects? And how do you show one? And it doesn't have to be, they don't have to be big projects. I always encourage students to go and talk to somebody that has maybe a little bit of a plaza outside their building and do something outside their building if they want to engage people or or talk to somebody that you know and 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 take a sidewalk for or, or a, a, a street in a block for for a couple of hours and do something but if you're not out there pursuing something nobody's going to go and knock on your door nobody until you show a little piece of your mind and and how you see the world because I think that at least what has gotten me uh, my uh, or, or why clients are coming to us uh, to look for the company is because they're enjoying something of the way we see life or through our eyes, you know, the way we can engage the world through our eyes. And they come and ask us for that. They, they, they know that they're not only going to get a building, but they're going to get an experience within a building, which to me is more meaningful than just, again, having this object that, that might look beautiful, but might not even do anything for, for the community and its surroundings. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good advice and, and a good way to end. Um, Michelle, uh, I love seeing you. I, I love talking to you. Uh, I miss you uh, a lot, and I can't wait to see you again soon. So let's, uh, let's catch up soon, okay? Perfect, Martin. Thank you very much, my friend. I, lots of kisses to the family for sure, and uh, hope to see you soon. Let me know whenever you can either jump to New York or, or Mexico that, uh, after this month back in Mexico. <laughs> okay. Sí, yo quiero, yo quiero. Okay. Uh, and thanks to thank your team as well. No. So, I think what we can conclude with this is this metaphor of a thread, one that has appeared in a lot of what Michel has shared, a thread that runs through his projects on all scales, a thread woven between the cultural spaces centered on social reconstruction that he's most known for, or how he jams with others as a collaborative approach. The thread is connection. It all comes back to connection. Connection in how his ideas are conceived and evolved. Connection to the collaborators. Connection to facilitate the social reconstruction. Connection to the communities these buildings take up residence in. With those same buildings providing spaces to create connection to the other, to one another. And to quote Brené Brown, connection is why we are here. So thank you, Michelle, for joining us, for creating spaces that build that connection. And thank you to all of you who've listened. We will see you in two weeks. All the articles and materials we've referenced will be available in this episode's description. You can also head to recite.org slash podcasts and find the transcript. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Recite.
the global nonprofit connecting people and ideas to improve the urban environment with the support of the Czech Ministry of Culture and Nano Energies. You can find more talks, stories, and podcasts at Recite.org or become involved with the Recite community through our various social channels. Everything you need can be found in the description. Thank you for listening to Design in the City. This podcast was produced by myself, Alexandra Siebenthal, with support from Martin Berry, Radhika Andrachkova, and edited by Little Big Studio. Thank you.